The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. We're just past the midday mark on this, which should be almost a spring day. It's the last week of autumn, but it feels like a summer's day outside. Okay, well, the aircon inside is, is quite chilled, which is great, but outside feels more like a summer's day. Let's just hope that uh, this isn't an indication that global warming is speeding up. Um, later in the show, we're chatting to women in investigations. Glenda Paul, Carla Buertas, and Lauren Anekwe will be joining us in studio, and they'll be chatting to us about their role as financial and organized crime investigators. But first, let's talk about this tragic, shocking news about Gavin Watson's death this morning in a car accident. Um, obviously, condolences to the family. He was a family man and a very close-knit family. Um, the four Watson brothers made up uh, a family of, of brothers that... Uh, were controversial but had played their role in the struggle during the 70s and the 80s, specifically um, in the Eastern Cape. Um, they were shunned by the, the local white community as a result of the um, the role that they played in fighting apartheid, etc. And as a result of that, it made that family all the more close-knit. They only had each other as a support system. Um, as you know, Gavin's nephew became a, a Springbok rugby player, and they were they were very well known for their contribution to sports as well as their contribution to the struggle. But as the years progressed, obviously, um, specifically with regards to the, the Zonda Commission on State Capture, it, it transpired that the rumors about Busasa over the last 10 years were, in fact, um, true that there had been investigations as far back as 10 years ago by the Special Investigating Unit into contracts that had been, an award, had been awarded to Basasa, specifically contracts for the provision of services to correctional services, as well as the provision of a facility for um, refugees that would be to, to be expatriated back to their, their countries of origin, known as Lindela in Krugersdorp. It was on this very radio show that we broke the story with Angelo Agrizi in an exclusive interview where he made serious allegations against Busasa and the directors, and in particular against Gavin Watson. And I think for me that's the saddest part of this whole story this morning, is that Gavin is taking with him to the grave um, his version of events. We all believe in the rights of, of reply. We call it Audi Ultra Partum in South Africa. And we're never going to hear his version of events and his take on the allegations, the very serious allegations that were made against him as well as his family. More recently, for CR20, for CR17, the, the Suram Posa campaign, um, it turned out that uh, Busasa had donated an amount via Gavin Watson of 500,000 rand to Suram Posa's campaign. At a later stage, he said this was actually part of a contractual obligation in terms of monies that was paid across to Ramaphosa's son for a business deal. Um, little did we know that 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 story about monies paid to Ramaphosa's campaign would become such a huge story as it has over the past three weeks, where we've now found out that a billion rand from different people were paid. It was paid into that particular campaign fund. So condolences to the Watson family. Condolences to all that new Gavin Watson. And most importantly, let's let's hope that there's sufficient evidence out there so that we'll be able to hear all versions of events relating to this very sordid saga involving Busasa and state capture. Last week, the Pretoria High Court found that the findings of the Suriti Commission's 
could be overturned. This is the first time in South African history that a commission's findings have been overturned. It marks a a legal historical moment in South Africa. And we've relied on these commissions of inquiry for some time now to be able to get to the, to the, to the truth. But there's always been question marks regarding these particular types of inquiries. We've seen with the PIC inquiry and the Zondo inquiry a lot of transparency, and we felt that perhaps commissions of inquiries have been to the benefit of our country. But when one goes back as far as the 1980s and one looks at the Marga Commission of Inquiry into the ill-fated crash of a South African aeroplane, um, near Mauritius, there's always been the question marks whether these commissions of inquiries were set up to actually whitewash the information. And the Sariti Commission was no different. You had people like Paul Holden, you had people like Terry Crawford Brown, etc., who stated that the findings were complete whitewash at the fact it didn't at all exonerate those that were implicated in the arms, in the, in the arms deal. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show, not necessarily mine or those of um, management. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. This is our last broadcast for August, and August is Women's Month. I think every month should be Child and Women's Month. I don't understand why we have to have a specific month. It's like late in the year we have 16 days of activism for violence against women and children. I don't know why we should have 16 days. Maybe it's just a reminder of how serious it is, but we should be reminded daily that violence against women and children is something that won't be tolerated. That being said, however, we've had a great month interviewing women, specifically women from law enforcement. We started off this month with an interview with Advocate Jackie Fick. She's the ex um, Deputy National Director of Public Prosecutions and was a member, a founding member of the Scorpions. We then interviewed Lynette Swanepoel from the South African Fraud Prevention Services and the ACFE South Africa. She's an expert in medical aid fraud. Last week we chatted to Wendy Pascoe, who's a specialist in missing persons. And today we chat to members from a team that I'm very proud to be a part of, the IRS Forensics Team. We chat to Glenda Paul, the Director of IRS. We chat to Carla Buertis, a Senior Investigator at IRS. And we chat to the latest, our young blood, Lauren Anekwe, who is a trainee investigator um, at IRS. So we'll be chatting to them about the challenges facing women in investigating crime and what they enjoy about investigating crime and perhaps some of the, the pitfalls that they've discovered in investigating crime. So ladies, welcome. And let's start with you, Glenda. Glenda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. It's nice to be back here in the studio. <laughs> yeah, you used to have a permanent seat in the studio with me <laughs> until things got so busy. Glenda, you are a founding member of IRS Forensic Investigations. You worked for nine years in the banks in a quasi-investigative position, first in their fraud division, then in their high-income recoveries division. And, of course, prior to that, you were a policewoman. If you go back, it's now 20 years this year since you left the police. If you go back the 20 years since you left the police to now as an investigator, what do you find are the challenges that still face women um, in the fight against crime? Um, law enforcement in general is um, predominantly a, a, a male-dominant um, environment. And with that, and it's a... Um, and with though, in saying that, it's um, it's a very difficult world for a, um, a woman to um, progress or succeed in. There are a lot. Of, uh, there are many, many challenges that we that we face as females. 
Carla, you studied um, criminology, but you did two majors in your BA at Pretoria. You also did a, a, a major in sociology, and your passion is um, gender equality, the investigation of, of gender violence, and ensuring that um, there is this cross-the-board equality. Do you find in South Africa we still have issues pertaining to the way women are treated in comparison to the way men are treated? Completely. Um I think in South Africa we're actually way more behind than we should be. I don't think that we're above any other country, but I do think we're actually slower than what it should be. Can you elaborate a bit? You come from a, a, a country and you're young enough to have um, experienced all the change that we've seen taking place. Um, you, 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 you left varsity two, three years back. Um, you've now worked in an environment where, yes, there are still primarily males working. But from your perspective, with South Africa having such a liberal constitution and having an equality court and fighting for the rights of women, why do you think we're still playing catch-up when we have better legislation in South Africa than most other countries in the world? I think it's just liberal on paper. I don't think that's how society is in South Africa at all. Um, it's easy to say we have an incredible constitution and everything in it is, but it's not being treated that way. I think a lot throughout the board cultures differentiate. A lot of them are very patriarchal and we haven't reached the level where we've brought the constitution into play necessarily. Lauren, for somebody who has adversity as recently as last year, at varsity level, do you see equality? At varsity level, do you see the the way the varsity is structured and the way the organizations are structured, equality? But do you find that perhaps the varsity is fighting not for equality within the, the boundaries of the varsity, but for the rights of women outside of those varsity walls? Or is there still a problem within those varsity walls? Within varsity, from my experience, there was a lot of representation in terms of I personally had a lot of female lecturers and a lot of the things that I was involved in from student politics to other extracurricular activities. There were a lot of females, specifically black females, like in positions of authority and such. But I do feel that the university in essence is at a different place than the rest of society. And it's for the varsity students and the population of the varsities to bring those new ideas as they leave varsity and go out into more public spaces. So I do believe that varsity is a lot more advanced than society in itself. And it's up to varsity students and the youth to bring those new ideas and those changes to the public space. Glenda, when you transferred to Johannesburg in 1997 as a policewoman, you came from a rural area, you came from police station level, and you landed up at a specialized unit, the Johannesburg Flying Squad. You were one of only a handful of, of female police officers. Where did you experience sexism more? In the rural setting when you were at police station level or when you were at the, at the Johannesburg Flying Squad in an urban setting? I think I experienced um, sexism throughout my career within the South African uh, police services. Um, unfortunately, it's, it is a very patriarchal organization. And in um, uh, the mid-90s to late-90s, um, there wasn't much uh, structural change in terms of finding women in positions of uh, authority or, or, or in leadership. Um, specifically, um, well, I, 
just in general, moving from uh, from one unit to the next, um, it was basically the same experience for me, um, especially um, as um, uh, a young female. You weren't really given many opportunities. You had to make opportunities. You had to make your own um, pathway, make yourself heard, um, be seen, that type of uh, scenario. So I don't think there was much of a difference between an urban setting and a rural setting. We're talking about women in investigation, specifically women in law enforcement. And we're going to be back straight after this break. We're going to chat more about the challenges that women face. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief, broadcasting live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM, as well as via the Chai FM website and the Chai FM app. There will be a podcast upload of the show tomorrow. So if you enjoyed the show and you want somebody else to listen to it, feel free to download the podcast. And, of course, there are repeats later in the week. Today we're chatting about women in investigations. In particular, we're chatting to three women that um, work for a company, IRS Forensic Investigations, Glenda Paul, who's a director of the firm, Carla Buertas, who's a senior investigator, and the latest addition to the team, Rona Nekwe, who's a trainee investigator and will be getting her full-blown investigation colors within the next couple of months. Let's start with you, Lauren. This is your first foray into um, investigations as such. You've grown up around it because uh, your family have been involved in private investigations all the years. So it's not absolutely new to you. And you've also worked during your um, your holidays, your breaks, etc. At IRS, now that you're working as an investigator and you're learning the skills of an investigator, what, what do you find are attributes that people would need? Not necessarily a woman, but anybody who wants to be an investigator. What kind of strengths do you think they would need and what kind of weaknesses do you think if they suffer from those weaknesses, they should then rather avoid perhaps um, engaging in this industry? For me, I think that you have to have a very curious mind to dig deeper into the things that you're searching and researching because a lot of our cases are different. We investigate many different industries and stuff. So if you don't have that general love for learning and knowing about all these different things, then you wouldn't necessarily do well. And then another thing is just strength in general. A lot of the cases we deal with are difficult and they are heart-wrenching. We're dealing with people who have essentially lost a lot and who have been defrauded. So you have to have that tough skin to be able to deal with that and not get too attached to your cases in ways that would affect your actual work. And then I think another thing is that... um you have to be strong because a lot of the times we are dealing with emotional clients and also emotional suspects at that same time. So you have to be able to have that negotiative ability and the ability to communicate and to work with people as well. Carla, Lauren brought up a very important point. She says you can't become too attached to a particular case. And I know I have in the past, I know Glenda has in the past, I've actually said we've been consumed by certain cases, whereas we have a lot of clients that we need to equally respect and equally attend to their matters. I find that sometimes clients don't realize that they're not our only client, that we have multiple clients. How have you learned to deal with this over the time that you've been at, at, at IRS and now that you're a senior investigator at IRS? I think um, you learn that they're misdirecting their anger 
um, you take on a lot. They've our clients have lost a lot of money, or in some cases, everything: their homes, their cars. Um, I think just being empathetic towards that, but also explaining to them that they're not the only one, and that it's happened to other people, gives them a a, a bit of a breather that can help assist us with a bit of a breather. Um, but I think just constant communication with them, just to let them know that closure is on its way. Um, yeah. Glenda, you and I, we had a whoop-whoop moment yesterday at, at lunch. It was Sunday. We meant to be relaxing with friends, having lunch, and an investigating officer messages us that um, Dennis Jolly, one of our wanted suspects in a multi-million rand fraud, in fact, um, hundreds of millions in South Africa as well as in the United States, has been arrested and will be in court today. We're sitting with 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 strangers as well as the people that have invited us to lunch who we know, and our work has followed us there, that we have this whoop-whoop moment of excitement that somebody has been arrested. Do you, do you think this is indicative of the business, that it follows us wherever we go and it's with us 24 hours a day? I think that um, it's kind of different for you and I as business owners because um, you need to keep uh, your finger on the pulse, basically. Um, and we tend to, um, we tend to mark our successes, um, a little bit differently from somebody that actually works for us or is employed by us. Um, it's, um, indicative of our company's success in this particular industry because, um, financial crime, the investigation of financial crime doesn't necessarily, you know, it doesn't really, uh, come to fruition within a small space of time. It does take a while to get some justice considering the criminal justice system at the moment and uh, where we find ourselves um, the the changeovers in the NPA the current changeovers in the SAPS um, it makes finding um, a resolution for somebody that's lost a lot of money a long time I mean we recently had a case as well that um, uh, finally came to fruition um, or it was a matter that was sitting from 2014 effectively and um, we recently um, got a conviction on that particular case, it was like um, it was a huge thing for us. That was um, Darren Pillay got found guilty, 21 counts of fraud in the transport and logistics industry. So, do you think perhaps, Glenda, the, the perception people have of us when we get excited over arrests and we get excited over convictions, um, they, they perhaps don't understand why we are so happy and why we are so excited because they don't understand the degree of work that goes into a financial crime investigation. I don't think a lot of people realize just how much of work we put into making sure that we um, that every piece of evidence is provided in a police docket when we when we register that case. It's based, it's essentially uh, from A to Z. We've collected uh, evidence and we're now reporting the matter uh, to the SAPS, and they need to take the investigation further. That's where the process slows down. The SAPS, the involvement of the SAPS and the NPA. So, Carla, your your major role as as a senior investigator has been to be able to interpret for the state authorities um, a, a, a claim that's been made by a victim of a fraud, whereas they would normally go to a police station, and because of the complexities of that fraud, they wouldn't normally be able to open that docket, which is why they turn to us for that expertise. Um, 
I've noticed that with us, it's even a whoop whoop moment for us to to get a case registered, to 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 have to have realised that the police now have an understanding of the way in which the crime was perpetrated, in the way in which you've had to describe it. So that being said, what is the most important role for you as an investigator when you receive an investigation to get it to registration, um, to the to the point of registration? To make a watertight case, to be able to prove the crime happened and at a level that the police can understand that it's so thorough that they can't say it's civil or turn you away when you are registering the case. So, Lauren, when you listen to your colleagues speak about having the case registered, etc., what would an important skill be for somebody who's looking to maybe enter this industry as an investigator? For me, a specific skill would be research ability that they would need because even though you see the case and the client brings you the certain annexures and details on the case, you have to research further. You have to research into the different acts that can apply to the specific case. You have to research the industry in general, for example, if it's in the logistics industry or if it's in agricultural industries, and you have to get a better, broader understanding to make the case easier to explain and put down into your statement. So that, for me, would be something that's... you definitely need is the ability to research and compile that research in an understandable way. We're talking to women in investigations, Glenda Paul, Carla Buertas and Lauren Inekwe. We're halfway through the show. When we come back, we're going to chat about specific types of crimes that they're currently investigating and what type of crimes to look out for. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Do you ever feel overwhelmed that sometimes it's all too much, need to offload? The Chayafim Helpline is here to help you. Give us a call, 0800-242436. That number again is 0800-242436. The Chayafim Helpline, caring, compassionate, confidential. That, that actually, it's, it's sad reading something like that because there's a lot of people out there they do need to talk to somebody and you realize they don't have somebody to talk to. Do you find, Glenda, that a lot of your, your clients that have been taken, they feel that they're rejected by their family because they were taken in a fraud. Perhaps they feel that a, a sense of guilt and they've isolated themselves from their family. Does counseling become a role that you have to play as an investigator? I think definitely. Uh, on a daily basis, when you're dealing with somebody that's lost everything, you need to be empathetic and you need to be able to to speak to them and ca- encourage them. I mean, uh, we've had cases where uh, people have literally um, uh, come to us and explained to us or told us that they, they want to end their lives. They can't see themselves moving forward or, or going forward past their, their financial loss. And you must remember as well that it's not just financial crime um um, victims that come to us, uh, we often get called in to give advice to people that have experienced some sort of trauma. Either um, uh, we, um, we've specifically given advice on cases involving children that have been um, uh, molested, women that have um, experienced some sort of violence. Um, and um, so, yes, I do believe that we have to have some sort of counselling ability when dealing with um, with the victims or with our clients. They're actually victims. I had a conviction this year, and it, it was a bittersweet moment. Um, 
It's a case that if any of our listeners follow us on social media or in the mainstream media will know it. It was a case that did kind of consume me. It was the case of David Powell, who committed fraud against multiple parties. And um, we got a conviction on him this year. He got a 10-year sentence, and he's getting sentenced again in other cases related to other frauds he committed uh, later this month. But the reason was bittersweet for me is that one of my clients, Stan Bass, who lost absolutely everything, killed himself. And um, I had to deal with his children after that, and I had to read the letter that he wrote, and he put the blame squarely at the feet of David Powell. And even although he thanked us for the work we had done in the investigation, through him losing everything, there's still this guilt I carry around that could we have done something sooner? Wasn't there a way to try resolve this issue faster? You then have the Shamex case, where one of the Shamex um, victims went onto the steps of the Shamex building to make a statement and shot himself on the steps. And that's why I always say fraud kills. And people don't realize just how people's lives change because of a fraudster. What have you come across, um, Carla, that has perhaps opened your eyes more to the reality of the consequences of fraud whilst working at IRS? Do any cases stand out? You obviously don't have to mention names, um, but do any cases stand out for you? There's a couple. I think um, specifically because of my age, um, being 23 and seeing the new thing of Forex scams and things like that where it's it's our generation who's doing it to their peers. Um, they're taking money from their peers based on a false investment and they are advertising themselves online and on social media as being this wealthy um, individual and they can benefit other people if they, they invest as well. But actually what they're doing is Stealing from their friends and living this high life and leaving people with nothing. Lauren, what what kind of skill set do you think you as an investigator needs to be able to cope and to have some form of coping mechanism, knowing that these people are reliant on you as an investigator to try help them see some form of justice? I think that communicating with those around you is a big factor in being able to deal with a lot of the things that we see on the day and at IRS we're very close-knit if I can say family and a lot of us we help each other on cases and things and in that way we're able to basically get a little release with a lot of the tension and things we're feeling or be able to describe and um, what's been going on or what's happened in a case and how unfair it is to be able to tell that to someone else but it's very difficult to also communicate that with a client because you don't want to make them feel worse about the situation or say anything. So you rather just be a bit more reserved in that area, but definitely being able to communicate with others and have that support system around you helps a lot in dealing with all these cases and stuff. We're going to take a break, but we t before we take that break, and while this is fresh in my mind, I want to just let those out there know that it's pointless in re-victimizing somebody that is a victim of fraud. They already feel vulnerable. They already blame themselves. Calling them stupid, calling them gullible does not help because con artists are called con artists because they're convincing 
and they're confident in the in the the pitch that they're giving the victims of the crime. So if you know a family member, if you know a friend that's been taken in a fraud or any other kind of financial crime, don't re-victimize them. They didn't set out to be defrauded. Have some feeling for that individual because now is when they need you the most. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. I like to be included in this uh, read. It, it goes, we are known as the people of the book. We are literally connoisseurs, consumers of words and prose, sharers of ideas. In short, we are readers. Chai FM is starting a book club. Would you like to be one of the Chai FM book club readers? You'll receive a book every month to review on the radio for our listening community. It's social, it's fun, it's mentally enlightening. We're looking for people with a wide range of reading topics and genres. Get in touch. Email books at chaifm.com. I'm one of those people that growing up, if I never had books, I don't think I would have made it this far. I am an avid reader. I love reading. And I think this is a wonderful um, initiative by FM. So, guys, email books at com and become part of the FM book club. Glenda, as a, as a director and founder of IRS Forensic Investigations, do you feel you're making a difference? Um, I think I am. Uh, at least I hope I am. Um, I don't know. You'll have to speak to my uh, aspirant female investigators here. Um, oh, um, I am one of uh, – th- there are a handful of female investigators specifically in the private security industry, um, and um, I happen to be one of those. Um, I hope that uh, I- I'm, I'm changing things for other females that are entering this industry. I hope I'm making things easier for them. Um, we do provide opportunities to uh, aspirant investigators, especially those um, um, uh, those that are um, uh, school uh, school going um, students that want to experience something or find out more information. I mean, I'm open to communication with anybody, and I'm prepared to give some advice on uh, how somebody can direct their um, education experience. Um, and get more information about being in this type of industry. Carla, the wheels of justice turn slow. This we know. Um, can it be despondent? Can, can it be, does it make you despondent at times that you reach a point where you have all your information collated, you have your statements ready, you register the docket, and then it slows down? Definitely. It's, um, I wouldn't want to say off-putting, but it's challenging. You think you've put a lot of work into something which you have and at a pace that we all work at and that pace completely stops or changes and you're waiting for feedback and you're you're kind of stumped at that point. That being said, however, you need to create relationships with investigating officers, prosecutors, etc. Have you been able to achieve that in your time at IRS? Yeah, with a lot. Um, I do find though that a lot of the the male IOs or investigating officers or figures above me um, disqualify my qualifications just based on me being a woman. That's that's a that's a hard one to swallow. And do you do you, do you believe that even although you have these challenges, that you are still making a difference, and that the organisation you're with is still making a difference? Definitely, I think. Um, we're bringing closure to a lot of people. 
Lauren, as as somebody who's come in with fresh eyes, although you know the the organisation from from your from from your familial links, um, do you believe that it's an industry where you'll be able to make a difference? I definitely think so, but as Carla said before, from my observations in my training period, I've seen that a lot of even clients and um, investigating officers or people we correspond with don't take the female investigators seriously and they have to get one of our male staff or investigators to speak on their behalf or in a way of making it more valid. So I've seen that a lot and hopefully in future that will change because we are capable, just as capable as the male staff and we do put in the work and we do put in our effort and it is a Carla is the head investigator in most of the cases, but the correspondence in some cases has to be done by a male staff member because she's seen as not as qualified because she is a female and a young female as that. But definitely, I think that we make a difference and we change the lives of a lot of people who and um, a lot of the cases that go into SAPS directly don't get further investigated because they're not compiled correctly. But we overcome that by compiling everything in well done ways so that the SAPs have it a little bit easier when they're going through the cases because they also are inundated with cases on a daily basis. Glenda, hearing these concerns from two of your investigators, you are after all a director, um, you have the experience of being in the police, you have the experience of being in the banks, which is also quite patriarchal. What advice do you give your your female colleagues because you deal directly with with your male peers within the police within the asset forfeiture within the national prosecuting authority how is it that that you've now um put your foot down what what did you have to do to be taken seriously as a woman in a male dominated environment I think it's about um, standing up for yourself and actually making it very clear that you are in a position of authority and you're speaking from a position of authority as well. Um, you're always going to get somebody that um, completely is disrespectful towards um, uh, towards a female. It's just one of those things that like Carla was explaining earlier. South Africa is a culture that, um, um, you know, that's completely patriarchal. Men uh, um, and societies in general, in general, doesn't really take females in position of authority seriously. And it's about you uh, bucking up, standing up. Um, I mean, I've been told on many occasions that I have a chip in my shoulder, or um, I'm um, I'm pushing I'm pushing boundaries too fast or too hard. Um, and um, you have to learn to you gotta you gotta stand up for yourself. I want to talk um, a little bit later about what requirements there are to become an investigator. But before we get to that point and before we take our next break, Lauren, as somebody who was studying law last year at Varsity and you now actively involved in law and you see the actual application of law, what has it made you realize from a study perspective to a practical perspective? I think that it's very difficult when you're studying something and you only have the theoretical um, documents and the papers in front of you compared to when you're actually working in it. And you see the live parties, you see the people that are involved, you see the outcomes, you see the systems and the processes, and it makes it much more enjoyable. So for that, it is um, an amazing experience for me that I actually get to a 
actually apply the things that I've learned and I've studied in theory and see the practicality and the way that it works out in real life. We're going to take our last break of the day. When we come back, we're going to chat about the requirements to become an investigator in South Africa. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting about women in investigations, and now we're going to move across to the topic of what you need to be able to become an investigator. Lauren is somebody who has been studying of late. Um, what kind of requirements are there in terms of education that you think would, would enable somebody to be able to conduct an investigation in South Africa? Well, specifically in the area of commercial crimes and fraud, I believe that a background in an understanding in law would benefit somebody greatly, as well as a background in finances, accounting, and also definitely um, any literature, writing, the ability to write and compose written pieces would definitely help because a lot of the work we do is compiling statements for clients in order to open dockets. So definitely someone needs the ability to process thoughts and put them onto paper. Carla, what are the statutory requirements for somebody to become an investigator in South Africa? Uh, we have to be registered with SERA, who's our re- regulatory body. Yep. Um, so legally they will overlook us and make sure what we're doing is within the justice system. Um, and you get different grades while you're doing it. You write tests, you, you get a certificate. Um, yeah. So we, we, we've heard about the, the educational requirements, the statutory requirements that you have to be ready with CIRA. There's obviously other bodies that are self-registered like the ACFE or the ICFP. But more importantly, Glenda, both you and I have come across people that have studied immensely. They ha- they tick all the boxes. They've studied a, a, a section of law. They've studied a section of accounting. They registered with CIRA. They may even be a CFE. But it's not all about that, is it? I think a lot of it is personality driven. You've got to be, you've got to have um, a, um, a really strong personality. Uh, you need to have thick skin, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and um, you need to be able to process through, uh, like the industry that we work in, it's very negative. And, you know, you um, it takes a very long time from you once you register a case to see some sort of uh, of justice. And um, um, you have to have some sort of patience as well. I think that's like a huge quality, the ability to be patient. <laughs> um, uh, you need to be uh, courageous as well because you've got to be able to stand uh, stand up. You need to be able to interview your, um, your, your suspects, have confrontations with them. Um, and uh, you need to have a, 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 a good um, the ability to negotiate as well, I believe, because um, sometimes it's not all black and white. There is definitely gray areas, and you need to be able to sit in the middle and differentiate between all the pieces of information that you have in order to, to find an outcome. Um, and I think that you need to be able to empathize as well and sympathize. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely a quality that, uh, that you need to have. And then, um, I often say that you need to be, you know, you need to roll with the punches as well. Uh, uh, that's definitely, um, a quality that you need to have as an investigator. In closing, can I ask each of you just to give one word or one sentence or one paragraph of 
advice, enthusiasm to school-leaving girls, girls that are going to be going into the world next year, be it a gap year, be it to study, be it to start working immediately. Lauren, what advice would you give a young lady today? Don't feel bad if you don't have all the answers and you don't know everything. Confusion is a part of growing up and you will find your way along the way. Carla? Keep going. The challenges you face, we all are. Glens? Knowledge gives you power. And I think that if you want to go into this type of field, or any, any field for that matter, you need, to have, uh, you need to have lots and lots of information to assist you. Glenda Paul, Carla Burtis, Lauren Nekwe, thank you so much for joining us today. And in closing, I'd just like to remind you of, a, of, of, of something we discussed earlier. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you feel sometimes it's all too much, if you need to offload, Chai FM has a helpline here to help you. You can call the helpline on 0800 24 24 36. Chai FM helpline is caring, compassionate and confidential.